Hello, and welcome to Fatal Fems, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will look at a movie or TV show written, directed, or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 1992 thriller, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, directed by Curtis Hansen and written by Amanda Silver, starring Annabella Sciorra, Rebecca DeMornay, Mac McCoy, and Ernie Hudson. Here's our synopsis. After facing terrible trauma, two women's lives become entangled as one seeks to destroy the other and take over her life. This episode has trigger warnings for suicide, pregnancy loss, sexual assault, violence, and violence towards children. We do want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. The twists and turns will be explored through the course of this episode, so if you care about that, go watch the movie and come back. We'll be waiting. We have with us today a very special guest, Valerie Kalish. Thanks for being with us today. Hi. Probably don't have to wave. Hello. No, they'll they, they'll know it. They'll know. Okay. They'll appreciate it. Yes. All around the world, there are special days dedicated to celebrating the moms out there, and this is our special Mother's Day episode. So very fittingly, this this wonderful treasure trove of a movie. Wow. So thank you to all the moms out there for everything you have done for us. And continue to do. And we're going to look at the mother of all movies. (laughs) Well put. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And so we have with us today an actual mother. Yes. To get a mother's point of view. (laughs) Yes, because while Lacey and I have taken care of many children, we don't have any of our own. We're also cat moms. Yes, yes. We have the the furry... The furry children that don't speak clearly and walk on all fours. Yeah. Some kids can be that way, too. I, I was like... I, was like, I mean... <laughs> I was like, does that happen sometimes? <laughs> I guess that's kids in the beginning. Maybe A phase. Not, it's a phase. Maybe not usually. covered in hair. They're usually less hairy at that point. Less hairy. Yeah. But Get hairier and walk more upright. It's ah, a, it's a trade-off. So yes, we we brought in an expert. <clears throat> yes, that is me. I'm an expert on yes. being a mom. You're expert on all things hand. All my children are still alive. Wow. I know. Wow. I know. Okay, so let's talk about this movie. So who is the person that suggested this movie? Um, It was me. I You did this. Yeah. Okay. You did this to us. So what attracted you to <clears throat> this film? Well, I remembered hearing about it when I was a kid. This came out in 92, and I think Uh I was like in the first grade or something. So I I saw previews for it and stuff, and it made a big impression on me because it looked so scary. I've worked with the Austin Film Festival for a number of years, and Amanda Silver and her husband were guests there one year, and I had worked a lot of the panels and things that they were at while we were at the big barbecue, and I was clearing away their plates and dishes, they were like, hey, I remember you. We've seen you a lot. And they were really nice and made a point to talk to me and were very encouraging about my script writing. And so that made a big impression on me because I've never had any of the other guests really acknowledge me in any way before. Oh, wow. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that would be. And so when we started this podcast, I was like, okay, I've got I've to watch that one sometime. And it came into the store. And so I was like, okay. Now let's watch time. it and and it was like what 
is happening <laughs> this movie? I have... I can't remember the last time I had a reaction this visceral to a movie. I have... T- you were there. I just told Val the story that right. when I was watching this movie for the first time last week, within 10 minutes, I was to my fullest peak energy-wise. Like, level a 1,000. I was so amped. My husband walked in the door, and I'm literally screaming at him what's happening in this movie. I guess my story was so compelling that it caused him to sit down and then watch the movie. Because he's like, I've got to see what's happening. Did you start it over, or he just jumped in? He just jumped in. It was, like, right after the first part. Like, right before the six months later. Okay. So it was, like, all of that lead up to that point. Okay. I was... There was one point where you were on the couch just kind of rocking back and forth, being like, what's she got to do? Yeah. Those ice blue eyes, I talk about you saying that it was scary when you were a kid. It was scary now because I knew nothing good was going to happen, but it's like, how bad is it going to be? Oh, God. Right. Really excellent, engaging movie so, as far as that goes. Here's kind of a funny thing to me. There is, this movie has two kind of ties to the movie Hook. Oh, <laughs> really? Yes. Val pointed out the first one to me. So Rebecca De Mornay auditioned for the role of Tinkerbell. Yeah, I yeah. that. That went to Julia Roberts. So that's the first one. Which I think Rebecca De Mornay is. She's more Tinkerbelly to me. Tinkerbellish? Tinkerbellish. Well, and what's funny is because of, because because of that happening, Rebecca De Mornay decided to go after darker roles. Right, right. But Julia Roberts earned the nickname Tinker Hell on that movie because apparently she was really difficult to work with. Oh, wow. So who knows what kind of movie it would have been if Rebecca De Mornay had been Tinkerbell. And the other thing is that Hook had been the number one movie and this one knocked it out. Oh. And knocked Hook to second place. Take that, Julia. Ha. <laughs> so it's just, it's just kind of weird to me that it had two connections to that. That, that is interesting. interesting. Now, it had very mixed reviews then, and I think now, too. I can see that. It has it has some problems, some of which we'll talk about, um, but it, the writing, the way it's written, it's so original. I don't think anything like it had ever been done before. Yeah, this kind of started, I believe... A whole the, trend of Lifetime movies, probably, even though it was a theatrical release. And it kind of, I think, started that trend of, like, the evil nanny movies or even books oh. well because i mean i think the whole uh trope of oh don't get an attractive nanny because she'll probably steal your husband had been there before but this took it to a new degree right and it there was in this time in the 90s there was a big trend towards what they called domestic thrillers mm. meaning um thriller movies set like in the home, in the home or the dealing with yeah, marriage and family. Because that's where the real horror lies. <laughs> and apparently now there's a new term, domestic noir. Interesting. Ah, so would this be characterized as such? That tends to be used more towards books from ah. what I found, but like Gone Girl is considered a domestic noir. Okay. And that's a movie and a book. Right. Um, so I, th- I think you can but use it, it for different things. Like if a domestic noir book is made into a film, would that not carry over? I think so. So yeah, there's... Uh, Fatal Attraction is one that it's compared to a lot. And yeah, there's some similarities, but not really. Well, one thing that's interesting is Fatal Attraction has a more equal distribution of the karmic retribution at the end. So it's not all on one character. 
it's kind of both characters kind of get their comeuppance in the beginning of Fatal Attraction. Val, what were your impressions of the movie first watch? The first time I watched it, I caught it playing possibly on Lifetime. I don't know, but it was it was on the the doctor scene at the beginning, mm. and so I like couldn't turn it off. It was like that train wreck sort of thing. But at the time, all my kids were little, also, so it kind of it played into some uh, stuff going on in my life anyway, and it was just like, oh my gosh, this is. So it was it was terrifying. Yeah. Well, and then I had to watch it again <laughs> the next day because it was just like in my head so much. You're like, I've got to unpack yeah. this. I need to watch it again. Well, it was just like, yeah, this is like it's playing over and over in my head. I need to like watch that again and see what's going on. And that was probably 10 years ago. So. Oh, wow. With that, I watched it again with Laura just recently here. Well, it's like it really so. talk about domestic thriller. This really does bring the horror home because it's like women, we have to go to the gynecologist. Right. We have to go there. And it's like, I think a lot of women, that scene. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think that's something in... that it, most, for the most part, any of us are just like, yes, you know, pelvic exam. This is going to be great. Yeah. It's already awful. Yeah. It's already <laughs> awful. It's already like, you're vulnerable. It's already scary. Yeah. And that is just like, yeah, that's like a nightmare. That just preys on <laughs> women's horrible. fears even more so. Yeah. So, yeah. Mixed feelings about that scene being included, but we'll get there. Right. And then plus throwing her being pregnant in on top of that makes it. I don't know about worse, but it was, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the movie opens on these really beautiful shots of the family's house. It's, there's nobody in it, and this really nice music is playing over it. But it's still kind of ominous. Like, it's kind of idyllic all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's nice, but there's this sinking feeling. (laughs) Like, it's beautiful, but you know, nothing good will happen here. It's because they had so much white all their upholstery and their everything's white it's like they have children this is not going to be good there was a, yeah there's a lot of white in this movie yeah a lot of white actors <laughs> <laughs> there was that too but yeah a lot of white fences Definitely. white houses white privilege white, i think they well <laughs> yeah that might have been but the, i think they actually used it to kind of like this is like it's all perfection no for sure like the it's the symbol of domestic life right it, it's these which it shouldn't be because kids just wreck white stuff i mean it's not <laughs> why would you have anything white tell that children? to all the instagram moms right that have these beautiful white couches I, and like, yeah i don't know i don't know what i'm kids. doing wrong <laughs> I, I i don't that just must be the special couch they bring out for photos that could be or should they just have a the closet couch they just bring it out and like put it there they bring out the closet back. couch yeah they anyway, just paint sorry. it every time that could be it too <laughs> they paint the couch so the music that's playing is Poor Wandering One from the Gilbert and Sullivan musical The Pirates of Penzance. Which this oh. movie features quite heavily music from that musical. And we will come back to this song a lot throughout the course of the movie. Doesn't that musical involve the baby getting switched accidentally? Does it? I think. I think it does. I think, yeah, there's some... There's a baby? <clears throat> or a kid. Yes. Somebody, somebody like ends up a pirate that's not supposed to be, I think, if I remember right. Oh! So. I recently watched a version of that that was filmed um, that had Kevin Klein as the Pirate King, and that was oh, a lot of fun. He was so good looking. Well, I'm sure he still is, but in that part, he was so handsome. The nurse was supposed to apprentice him to somebody, and she ended up like sending him to the pirates. That's, or... Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Ah. Yeah, there, there is something about like mistaken identity and... Mm-hmm. Kids not getting... living the, the right life. The wrong person having the kid. Ooh. Yeah, something like that. The wrong person having the right life. Right. Ooh. So after our beautiful setup of this gorgeous house and everything, we go back to the Pirates of Penzance again because 
we see the family having breakfast and getting ready and the dad's in the bathroom shaving and the little girl is in there with him and they're singing a song from Pirates of Penzance. Right. Mom's making breakfast. It's all like very playful and happy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very perfect. Yes. But yeah, so, because the whole time in this intro shot, we're following this bicycle with this really cute little wagon, this covered, not covered wagon. Um, It's like a little box. It's like a case. Yeah, it's like a little cased on wheels sort of trailer. Yeah, a little trailer that's attached to a bike. And we're following, that's kind of what you're following through this neighborhood is this bicycle. And it stops in front of this beautiful house where this family lives. And then you go in and you see the mom preparing breakfast and the the dad and the daughter singing and doing their thing. And then you see that there was, the, the person riding it was a man and he's knocking on the window. And it does feel weird that he goes to the window and not the door. I think, notice that he started the door and nobody answers. Yes. Oh, I missed that. I totally missed that. Yeah, because I think they kind of let us know to some extent that nothing bad is going on, but then they also give us like the family's perspective when he shows up at the window. Yeah, because it was, it. yeah, because it doesn't feel harmful but also yeah. you still have that ominous feeling right you know something bad's gonna happen you're just like is this the bad but it doesn't seem like it's the bad no it, but doesn't. it turns out that it is a man that's brought that has come over to help build their fence their white picket fence right who's part of what i what? just realized something what we'll talk about it at the end no oh is it <laughs> yeah no i know yes. i know i know okay i didn't Ernie even realize did it. that he saved the day no, he's from like a he's from like an organization that helps handicapped people. Yeah, people with intellectual di- disability. Yeah, yeah, it's and called the Better Day Society. Better Day, better I'm day Society. Say a good way. I could remember. And apparently, they they she says something like they'd seen the fence he built for their neighbor and liked mm-hmm. it, and so they'd requested him. Yeah, so, so that was kind of a awkward yet we're still exchange. Shocked when he showed up. Yeah, it's like <laughs> so it was kind of an awkward exchange because they kind of kind of treated him like an intruder and. The husband went out and grabbed him, but all the while he was just very innocent. Yeah, she like drops her pitcher of orange juice. Yeah, think, it was break, kind so of an overreaction. Ah! Like, yeah. I don't know if I would do that if someone knocked on my window. It just seemed like a big reaction. Right. And so the husband kind of goes out and he's immediately kind of treated like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And then once they realize it's like, oh, okay. It could also be like kind of a, like showcasing like they live this like safe suburban sheltered life. Nothing bad happens there. Mm-hmm. So seeing anything out of place is just like really yeah. throws them off. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know. No, that's a very <laughs> good point. It's like if you live a sheltered existence and there's something that goes wrong. Right. You you will have re- right. an overreaction. So right. okay. This is Solomon played by Ernie Hudson who does an amazing job. Yes. I would venture to say <laughs> that I think his portrayal is the best of the movie because it's not a mawkish performance of a person with intellectual disabilities. I don't know if his character, what disability his character is supposed to have, but he is very much still able. Very capable still. Yeah, he's yeah. still he still can function and has a job and is able to live a life. And yeah. And I love the joke that he makes where they're like, okay, are you ready to start? And he's measuring he's, it off feet, with his yeah. feet. He's like, and they're Six, all over there five. looking like, oh, no. Yeah. And he's like, I got a tape measure. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, because ableism plays, that's one of my issues with this movie, because there is a little bit of ableism happening. And so I thought that was kind of funny that he was able to kind of mock that in the, that. It's very, yeah, very much so. That viewpoint in them. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, guess what? I'm actually not an idiot. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I can still, I can still do things, too. I also really loved the scene where 
she tells her daughter to ask him if he wants anything to drink. And the little girl says, do you want anything? And he says, well, yes, a new bicycle. Oh, Um, that's right. I've forgotten that. Yeah. And I love the relationship between the daughter and Solomon. Mm -hmm. Um, Emma is the daughter. And they're they're just, they just play so well off of each other. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, she was a really good kid actor because This was her first film. Yeah. Was it? It's amazing to me. Yeah. She does a good job. You, I think this speaks to Ernie Hudson as an actor, though, because- that playability and that adaptability, he shows that, showcases that with his interactions with every character. The relationships change and the ebb and flow changes based on who he's talking to. So it's very, it's a very multi-dimensional role and he brings a lot to it. He is working on the fence and the mother, Claire, it has a doctor's appointment. And so she goes to meet her new gynecologist. She is very pregnant and she's not that pregnant. Well, she's, she's pregnant enough. Like she's showing. Yeah, she's showing, but I she's think she's got a pretty pretty good belly going on, has she? She's about three months. No. Because, yeah, because six months later they have the baby. Really? Yeah. Oh, what's so she way too big? Maybe well, she, very much. Well, the baby's a few very months judgy old. Very judgy of me, but well, the baby's a few months old. So yeah. Maybe, maybe she's like. Oh, but I, I, I would guess I would guess six or six plus. Okay. See, yeah. I didn't think she looked that big. Well, you but yeah, but you don't really even. I mean, it varies, but you don't show that much. Till later on. Mm-hmm. So she definitely. A lot of what my friends, and you can comment on this and tell me I'm right or I'm wrong, but a lot of people, a lot of my friends that have had second children say oh, they yeah. show a lot earlier. After, like the first child, they don't show as quickly. Yeah, definitely. And then the belly comes on a little quicker. Yeah, so you have no abs at that point. So it's just like, <laughs> the body's like, oh, I know how to do this. Yeah, <laughs> wonk. Yeah, exactly. But still, I would, I would have put her at like six months or more. She was. Okay. Yeah. All right, pretty, pretty. but what this does allow us to, to witness is some incredible 90s maternity fashion. Oh, yes. Just oh, just yes. the creme de la creme of, of choices made here. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So we find out that the doctor who delivered her previous child has retired. just retired. And referred her, correct? Somebody, a friend, or this or the other doctor referred her to this guy that she's seeing now. And right off the bat, you get just this He's a slimy feeling. Not... Yeah. It feels like you're supposed to feel safe, but you don't feel safe. Right. It's a, I was immediately on edge as soon as that scene began. Right. And so he sends the nurse out of the room and... Which is red flag, red flag. Well, I don't think... I think it's not allowed anymore. That's Maybe not if legal. I don't know at the time if it was even legal, but I know now they have to have two people in the room. Well, so it's interesting that she didn't... I don't remember when that law went into effect. Maybe this was happening around that time. Maybe this is what was happening in culture. So that's why it was kind of put in there. But. Well, even just the fact, because what got me there is even him doing a pelvic exam at that point, he should have everything he needs in the notes from her previous. Yeah. Because she shouldn't have needed that. Well, she even says that. She's like, it's it's odd to me that I I have to have a pelvic exam. Yeah. But he's just, he kind of like poo-poos that. Well, you know, after this, you won't have to have another one. So we just have to check everything. Yeah. He's like, I just want everyone to have a full examination. Yes. He makes it sound like it's like all for their benefit. Mm -hmm. But. Very. Yeah. And just. Yeah. But to me, that was just like, uh uh-uh. This was the scene that I, because this is, this would be the scene that would keep me from recommending this movie to anybody because while the rest of the movie I find really, really well done and fun to watch, that sounds weird. No, no, I got you. In a sick way, it's just kind of one of those thrillers that you just enjoy because you don't know what's happening in the suspense. But this is the scene that makes me 
question, not even question, makes me very hesitant to recommend this movie because it is a very, very graphic depiction of a sexual assault. It is, definitely. And like I've told these two ladies, I don't think sexual assault should be something that we shy away from in media, but I also don't think it should be something that's used for entertainment or sensationalized in any way. And this whole scene, it's so visceral and graphic and uncomfortable. I could, this is a very, very triggering scene, even mm. for someone that hasn't experienced assault. So I wonder what our opinions are about that being in movies. What do we think about that? Yeah, it's not violent. Well, I mean, obviously, any sexual assault is violent, but they also, it's all like, it's all like in a sterile environment and all just like... It is sterile. It feels sterile, too. Which, it, that almost makes it more grotesque, mm-hmm. if that makes sense sense i don't i don't know exactly what i'm trying to say there but it's it's almost like like she's at a place where she's supposed to be safe right yeah so that adds a level to it it's weird yeah definitely like we were kind of talking beforehand this brings the terror to your front door in a way which i'm sure is what they were going for yeah but it's also like why are you trying to make women not trust their doctors right (laughs) (laughs) and one question that i had was Obviously, this was written by a woman. Right. I'm kind of curious if this was in her original draft and how this might have been handled differently if the director had have been female. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Would it have been kept in? Would it have been done in a different way? That's something that I kind of wonder about. Yeah, and playing off of that, I, I wonder if the scene, if because this is kind of a catalyst for the rest of the proceedings of the movie. A sexual assault as a catalyst, I'm not a fan of. Right. And I wonder if if this could have been a catalyst if it were just, she got an off feel, feeling from this dude. She didn't like the way she felt when he was in the room with her. And that led to realizing like, oh, this guy's a predator. And that realization coming out. It's like, because that's, again, something that you see in a lot of media that now we're becoming aware of, but I think for a long time we were kind of asleep to. Right. That the only way that things like this are paid attention to is when they're, you know, so overt and in your face and sensationalized that you can't ignore it. It's like, what about the subtle times when you're just like, no, you know what? I have an off feeling. Why isn't that enough? In the Golden Girls, Rose got her dentist to lose his dental license because he touched her boob over her clothes. Yeah. So uh, if that's enough, well, then why couldn't something smaller? Well, and I wonder if well, this I'm, plays into also women don't feel like they can come forward and say something unless it's like of a certain degree. It's like it, unless it meets these standards, people aren't going to take me seriously. So I wonder how much that kind of reaffirm those feelings for women because this movie is 20 25 20 came out in 1992 92 that long ago 20 27 years wow i mean and we still even nowadays have an issue of where women aren't believed when they come forward Mm -hmm. about things so it was even worse back then yeah but the one thing i will say taking this scene out because i really don't feel like it's necessary i feel like it could be done have been done a lot differently we don't have to shy away from it. We don't need to shy away from the fact that this guy was a predator. How could it have been done with victims in mind or with people in mind that have experienced this, experiencing this in a theater? But I, I feel like they wanted us to very much not be on Peyton's side for the movie. Mm-hmm. And if it had been something lesser, we'd have been like, well, why did she have to go and ruin his life? You know, and then ruin Peyton's life. And then now Peyton is, we might have been less on her side which is mm. probably speaks poorly of how people react to stuff. 
but I think they wanted it to be really dramatic so that we'd very much be like, well, she she had to. No, and I, I absolutely um, think that's probably why it was um, And then also done. the shock value, but that, that seems to be like, could be a reason why they would have done it. Yeah. At the degree that they did. Well, because that also brings up a point of this movie definitely does pit women against women. Right. Like, that's a very, very subtle mm-hmm. message, mm-hmm. but it's in there. It's mm-hmm. in there in the layers. So I think you're onto something there. After this whole scene, though, because it just also establishes, establishes that Claire has asthma. Oh, Because right. you see her start mm-hmm. having an asthma attack after she's running down the stairs to get out of this office after this assault. So you that kind of reinforces that that's kind of a, a reoccurring issue that she's going to face. That, but, and that shot where they're like looking overhead as she goes down the stairs and you're mm-hmm. like looking over the whole lobby way and she's like getting that like was so anxiety inducing for me. I don't yeah. really know why, but something about the way that was laid out. It just was like, oh, no. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> this like. This is so bad. Because she's wheezing and she's running and you're just like, oh, gosh. Well, you're already stressed out for her because yes. of the whole scene with the doctor. And yeah. then it's just like, oh, my goodness. It, it like had this feeling of despair. Yeah. Almost. It was. It was this. It was kind of frantic, intense. Yeah. yeah very intensity. frantic. Yeah, for sure. One thing that this movie does very well is the husband. I think the husband is written incredibly well because this is a, this is a, a great version of a supportive partner. Yes. Because. She brings this to him. He never downplays it. He never diminishes it. He's going, you need to come forward. You need to say this. Again, I wonder if maybe he should have, you know, taken into account her her feelings and maybe maybe encouraged her in a, in a gentler way. Right. But I do think it was very interesting to see a husband, especially during this time, before the era of Me Too and men really needing to amplify the voices of women being brought forward, that he was doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes to show that this was written by a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I also love the portrayal by Matt McCoy. He's the dad in everything. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. He just he just looks like the dad. Right. Yeah. Although, who was it that I was talking I was talking to my friend Heath, who has seen this movie. He, as he says, he grew, he grew up with this movie. Oh. He said that all he wants to do is trim the neck beard. He cannot stand oh. his beard. <laughs> he was talking about that. And just like, I want him to trim the beard. <laughs> but keep going. He plays such a gentle person mm-hmm. in this. I, I really enjoy his portrayal. Well, how many times do we say in movies when the husband doesn't believe the woman for some reason? How many times are we just like, why is it so hard for a man just to go... I believe you. This is not okay. We need to do something about this. Or just following his wife's lead. You don't see that that much, but he does that beautifully. This character is a really... Uh, very, we, we stand a supportive husband. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he got really bad reviews. Did he? Really? People didn't like the character. They thought he was kind of a pushover and well, a wimp. Because here's the thing. Okay, so here it comes because <laughs> see women experience shame very differently from men women's version of shame is if i can't be perfect and keep all the plates spinning and keep everything perfectly then that's something to be ashamed of men have one one direct gateway to shame and that's the perception of weakness hmm. so especially when we're not aware to that and when gender stereotypes we're still very like a man is this and a woman is this and men don't cry and women cry and whatever. It's like, so when you see a husband not emulating that super masculine like thing, you're like, oh, well, this guy, but it's like, it's realistic. It's like men are like that. Men, 
not all men are masculine, not all men are feminine. Men are themselves, and they're their, they're their best when they're themselves. Right. And it's okay to believe your wife. Yeah, that doesn't <clears throat> make you a pushover just because you believe your wife. I actually disagree with most of the reviews that I read from the time. They, they nitpick the things that I actually thought were really good. Let me guess, were they men? I actually, I don't know, mm. but probably. Also, to be fair, the movie isn't really about him so much. Mm-hmm. So exactly. So if, if he had been more pushy in his role, he would have kind of, I would have seen it as him trying to like kind of upstage her and that I, he did a good job of doing a good job of his role, but not trying to like steal the spotlight for himself. He was a supporting, supporting actor. Yeah. which Supportive, supporting actor. Um, Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. It's, no. So I mean, we applaud him you know? on all counts. Yeah. Right. I would like to see more male characters written in that way. Right. So it's interesting because we were talking about how he like immediately believed her and supported her here, but then later on in the movie, he yeah. less so. Yeah, because Which is interesting. Because the danger doesn't seem so so ominous. So yes. it's not a man. <laughs> oh, we'll get back to that. Sorry. No, that's okay. Uh-huh. Um, you'd already thought of this. Oh, I'm like, we are unpacking. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's why I liked it because I didn't. Oh, so okay. you, that was that was a little truth. That was a... <laughs> so she does report him, and four other women come forward to say that they have also had similar experiences. With this doctor. They've right. also been assaulted. Yes. Well, we just see like a news clip of that, right? It is on the, it's see. on the news because the doctor's watching it on the yes, news. Yes, it's showing it's... on the TV and they're like zooming out and you don't know who's watching it yeah. yet. And it shows that it's, yeah, very right. Yes. And then it shows that it's the doctor watching and he has, you know, his scotch and he's drinking and he looks Like really... his cigar sitting on his desk mm-hmm. and his scotch sitting there and you can tell it's his office. You never see him. Maybe like the back of his head. But I, don't I don't think we think see, his, see his, face. his face. You don't we, see his face You can sure. tell it's him. You know, yeah, you know it's him for sure. No, you see his desk. They're like zooming back on the TV, the news report of of him, the charges being brought against him. You see like his scotch and his cigar and he pulls a, a gun out of his, which is his drawer on his desk. And then you see the gun go up and you hear it go off, but you don't, that's all you see mm-hmm. of that. So. Yeah, which in comparison to the very graphic nature of the assault, the fact that they don't show suicide. Yeah, they didn't, they kind of down. <laughs> no, 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 but that was kind of, that's kind of interesting that they show, they don't show. They don't show him, they don't show that. There was yeah. no violence towards Yeah, because they don't him. really shy away from violence in this movie, but they don't really. Yeah, violence towards women. That's true, that's true. Because we see several dead bodies. Well, we said, like, uh, Michael does get, he gets, gets some violence. Again. Yeah, but even, even compared to, like, Marlene's death and Peyton's death. Right. Spoiler alert. It's not as bloody and. and Another another thing with that, though, is because he basically, not like take the easy way out, that's the wrong way to say it, but he, we don't get any real justice towards him. It's mm-hmm. all happens to his wife. Very much so. He like kind of cuts out and then all of the punishment that he should be getting, like that I feel like he should have been, it mm-hmm. all like ends up landing on her. It really does. He, um, he leaves her with the bill. Yeah, very much so. Because that is the next scene that we go into. Yeah. Going back, I, re- I was just thinking about this, sorry. Um... But it downplays his importance to the movie, too, because they don't spend any time on him. That's true. They don't So it's kind of like, you know, he did this thing, but we're not spending any more time on him. We're not focusing on him. Yeah. So it also could be it's like they're not giving him the focus. Not sure what the the justification was for that scene, but there are two different ways to look at it. Well, we had to have something big happen to to start Peyton's downward spiral. Yeah. We'd be interested to know y'all's thoughts on that. So please share. yeah, Yeah. Let us know what you think about 
how that plays out. Because by no means do any of us have all the answers and we are always open to perspectives that we don't have because we can only have what our minds can make. So mm-hmm. share what your mind makes. <laughs> so we do jump into the next scene where Dr. Mott's wife, Peyton, is at the lawyer's office. This right. is what I like to call the Mr. Toad's wild rides of scenes because it Oof, just goes it from zero to a thousand like instantly it is the most ridiculously dramatic thing i've ever seen yeah right but we did we you needed something big for her to snap to the level that she did yeah i guess but then at the same time it's kind of interesting because he also had like his career was over and all this bad stuff happened and he like handles it all calmly but then when all the bad stuff like falls on her she goes crazy uh, mm? men, men handle stress better, apparently. Yeah, yeah, allegedly. Yeah. At, least, at least this is what the movie's telling us. Right. It's not necessarily a better way of handling it, but no. it's very, very calm and just like, okay, well, I'm going to take care of business here, not, not go crazy. Well, yeah, know. the way that he approached <laughs> it, for sure. It was... But then, like you said, he kind of cut out and left her picking up the pieces. But he does. He leaves her to pick up the pieces. Yeah. Well, the suicide wasn't selfish. But, no, no. but everything he did leading up to it certainly was. Definitely mm-hmm. had made very selfish decisions in his life that he left her to pay for. Well, and instead, of facing the consequences. consequences he made the decision right to when, not yeah to not yeah and then he the opted wife, out yeah he opted and out she didn't have that option right exactly so. because what they mention in the scene before the assault takes place is that this doctor also his wife is expecting the baby so after <laughs> his suicide the next scene is her in this room full of lawyers being told all of the woman that's pregnant so the doctor's wife who is played by Rebecca De Mornay, being told that all of her assets are frozen. She can stay in the house until they get it on the market, but basically she's homeless, she's penniless, and they can't really do anything about her. So she's told this news. So she loses her husband, loses all of her money and her home. As she's walking out of the, do- or out of the lawyer's office, she faints and has a miscarriage. And it is the most... Yeah, you see him, like, rushing her through the, the hospital, like, the hall in the hospital, yeah. like, on the gurney, and there's blood everywhere. And it's she's traumatic. screaming and panicking and, yeah. And like, then save I'm... my baby. And, yeah, it was really... So, and was then you even intense. see the lifeless yes. baby, and it's like, damn. Well, in one review I read said, they don't even tell her that her baby is dead. They tell the doctor oh, standing next do. to her they that do. her baby is she dead. She doesn't even have agency <laughs> to know that be told the information right she's just she's again a bystander all these things are happening to her but yet she isn't in control well there's and when she's in the lawyer's office to me there was something of a sense of like they're being polite and everything to her but some of the outrage that everyone was feeling towards her husband that now they have nowhere else to direct it is being directed at her Mm -hmm. even though it wasn't she wasn't involved that we i mean there we were never given any indication to yeah. think that she'd done anything wrong yeah. in any of this, but there's a certain amount where people aren't really... Um, they're holding her responsible. Th- they're kind of holding her responsible for it because he's not there to be held responsible mm-hmm. now. Um, and we do find out later on that she's already had a rough life up to this point. Right, we do. Yeah. yeah, all this that's happening, it just, we just keep building yeah. on things. So not only does this woman go through the trauma of losing a child, the result of that traumatic miscarriage is that she now has to have a full hysterectomy and has therefore lost the ability to have future children and something i find interesting about the character of peyton is she is young she's beautiful she loses it the movie makes you feel like she feels that she's lost a part of her identity because she now no longer can have children because that was part of what 
she felt made her a woman. So she lost that part of her identity. So now, after that, in the rest of the movie, she's trying to find that identity or take back that identity from someone else. And she, while she's in the hospital, she sees the report about her husband and about the women. And one thing I read was that even at this time, it was illegal to show on TV somebody the, like the picture and release oh, the right. name of a victim of, of a victim and of course right there on the newscast is a huge picture of claire and talking about her you know saying her name and stuff so, so there becomes the object of peyton's revenge and i think we leave off on her just staring at that well, newscast. almost like she feels like her like like everything instead of just having lost it she feels like it's been stolen from her at that mm-hmm. point that this woman has taken it from this her. woman's taken it from her yeah Completely. And quite, um, like, violently at that. Yeah. So, complete misdirected (laughs) anger. Yeah. Because I think now looking at it, you can realize it's like her husband was the person that did all this. It's like that was the person she should have been angry with, not the victim. Right. But then we wouldn't have this movie. So, we go six months into the future. Claire's baby has been born. His name is Joe. He's actually played by three babies. Two were girls. Ah. We have a happy family. They keep finding tasks for Solomon to do, so he's kind he's of become yeah. a part of the family, too. Yeah. yeah. They're talking about hiring a nanny. They want to hire a nanny so Claire can build her greenhouse. First world. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I'm so busy, and I just, these babies are preventing me from my, well, I mean, they would. Because it's they, like, they definitely, yeah. you, I'm sure you haven't had time to build a greenhouse. No, I have to build one a day. One a oh, day at least. That's, well, see, uh, Claire should have come to you. Obviously. No, no, but I do find that part to be interesting because women in general, it's, I don't know about at that time, but nowadays it's pretty acceptable to, it's, to be a stay-at-home mom. It's pretty acceptable to be a working mom and to therefore need help with childcare. But it's still not super acceptable to have help with childcare just to do something you enjoy. Very true. Um, that then you're just being selfish, and why are you doing that? Mm. Um, so on the one hand, interest outside children in the home, right? On the one hand, yes, it's a first world problem, like that you need more time to build your greenhouse. But on the other hand, they kind of it's almost like they're setting it up to where, like, well, if Claire had been a little less selfish, then none of this would have happened. If she had oh. just like focused on her family, you know, she wouldn't have had to hire the nanny. And you know, Blaming how important how important is a greenhouse really? Obviously, well, not more it's important, important than to her. I know, but that's. That's kind of what I felt from it because that's... That's a very interesting point. I didn't yeah. even think about that. Yes. Wow. Definitely. Yeah, it's not It's not super treated as acceptable to like one... Like you can have your own interests as long as you do everything else too. Well, yeah, or if it's, or if the interest involved, it's like a, it's a, it's a lucrative thing where you're making Right, if money. you're making money, that's fine. Then you can have help with your kids. But you can't have help just to go. Just to do something fun. Have that's, time to yourself to. Or not, not in big chunk. I mean, like maybe an hour or two here and there, but definitely not some big, like long, you know, ongoing project. That's, that's very true. I rescind my comment about the first world problem of greenhouse building. <laughs> because, no, I think that's a really interesting point because yeah. we attach so much value to things making money it's like even nowadays it's like you can't have a hobby without turning it into an right. etsy store right so that's yeah and very... women are expected as moms to do more than historically they ever have been by themselves you're expected to really just do all of it wow. and you're not really expected to ask for a lot of help unless you're making money while you have that help so i think it's a lot of pressure put on moms and i thought it was interesting in this movie that her another her husband being supportive he's just like yeah we should get a nanny so you can build your greenhouse and i'm like that's perfect that yeah that is great. He, he should be that way. 
but still, it's, it's like so, it's so, um, it stands out because that's not, it's not normal. <laughs> See, this is why I love having guests here at Fatal Femmes because yeah. it just, it provides such a richer aspect to the movie and to oh, viewpoints. Absolutely. Because I, I agree, because again, it goes back to how women feel shame and the shame is if I can't do every, everything right. perfectly, I should be ashamed of right. that. Yeah. I shouldn't have to ask for help. Right. Mm. Which Marlene talks about later on. Yes. Oh, yes. Let's yep. talk about Queen Marlene, the, oh, the realest bitch in the game. Like, <laughs> can we just all just praise Marlene for a second? I love her because she's so blunt and real, but she is the only one that got that, like, besides besides Solomon. Solomon, Solomon and Marlene yeah. are yep. the only ones that pick up on Peyton. Yep. Ugh. Emma says, why don't we hire Solomon to be the nanny? Yes. Yeah. And they say, oh, honey, Solomon is a special person, and there are just some things he can't do. Yeah. Is this before or after he picked up the baby? This is a, it's in the same It's in the same area. Yeah. No, he bit. picks it, yeah, because it's right afterwards, because he picks up the baby, and Claire's like, oh, you're not supposed remember, to do that. You, remember what we talked about, and he's like, oh, oh, that's right. And, and it's just, yeah, I, I didn't, I don't love that, because it's kind of, if you had just trusted this person who... He obviously made can, a really good nanny. Yeah. It's like if a person can build a fence and you trust him to build things around your house that you are trusting them to be structurally safe, do you not think that this person could also handle a baby? Right. Yeah, but there's there's not a lot of men in nanny positions or mm-hmm. babysitting, and there's, I don't know, there's definitely well, yeah, I, a thing there. Yeah, and I think also the fact that he does have an intellectual disability. Right, so that's it's like, like two strikes so, against him. Yeah, so he's like, so something, so obviously this would prevent him from being a good caretaker. Right. But, and I think that, again, that's just some, that subtle ableism coming in through the movie, because it's like, oh, well, you can do these things, but you can't do right. this thing. It's like, You're oh, responsible enough to be like on a ladder cleaning our gutters, but don't pick up the baby because reasons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's one of the reasons like our media portrays people with intellectual disabilities as such when very, when they can have very full functioning lives. and. But then oh, at the same time, it did show that kind of a prejudice towards him for those yeah. reasons, but then they also showed how everything would have actually gone better if they hadn't have felt that way. Well, and he was the reason that these children were safe in the end. Right. So, so in, a, in a way, they kind of... work for that. Yeah, well, they kind of sort of are, like, pointing out, maybe, that that's mm-hmm. in a, in a sort, of, sort of a way. Well, yeah, it's a very limited mindset. So we're sending Emma off to school and forgets forgot... Her sweater or lunch? Jacket. Her jacket. jacket. Yeah. And Claire is running towards the school bus. Wait, wait, wait. Best entrance of any movie And ever. the school bus just stops. Just, yeah. And out from in front of the school bus steps Peyton. Just perfect... Very put together. All yeah. like perfect yes. nanny Peyton. Yes, definitely. Like she studied the nanny book. And yes. She was like, This is what I this is what a perfect nanny looks like. So I'm gonna do this. But just appearing in just just the imagery of her in appearing in front of a school bus. I don't know what it was, but just Well then they've also though it's like at the top of the hill and there's like this beautiful like this the city behind them. Mm-hmm. It's very like idyllic looking, but then it's ominous at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because you know who this is. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But Claire doesn't. And and she's just, it's just. And like her picture, like the perfect perfection that she's portraying there Mm -hmm. is ominous in and of itself. It's like, this isn't right. You cannot trust perfection. Yeah. Well, it is, but it's just like something, something is off with this whole picture here. Well, yeah. Because I mean, and just, I think one thing that just makes her performance so dynamic and compelling, 
her eyes yes. tell the story. <laughs> just those ice blue eyes. You can just, you feel everything in them. Yes. They the, hit it off right away. Yeah. She says that she's come for the nanny position, but she wasn't through an agency, and they have a really nice chat, and... Well, it is, it is a little iffy, though, the part, like, it's like, oh, why the agency? I forgot I had an appointment. I'm usually really good about these things. And she's like, well, I didn't have an appointment. She's like, well, what agency are you with? She's like, well, I'm not from an agency. And... Um, she for a, she's a little suspicious. She's like, huh, but then she kind of was like, well, that's I'm just being silly, and like pushes that all down. Well, because Peyton's like, oh, I'm sorry, yes. I should have called. No, yes. nanny's talk. Oh, I, I know I'm bothering you. I'll come back later. Right. So and then she's like, oh, oh, she, no. She pushes down all her <laughs> unrest and is like, oh no, this is fine. It's fine. We'll go talk. It's like ignoring that that feeling that you get is like, oh, this isn't good. But, that oh, gut feeling. That I don't she want to be rude. It. Yeah. She seems so nice. Right, right. <laughs> so she brings, they come home. They're having this great conversation. She <laughs> invites her back for dinner that night to meet the family. There is an exchange about these diamond earrings. Oh, that's when they're, when they're having tea. She loses one of them. Yeah, she loses one of her earrings and Peyton picks it up and says, oh, here, you dropped this. And she says, oh, yeah, I, you know. I need to get it fixed. But she, then she says something about Michael having gotten them for her. And there's like a flash on Peyton's face, like of, I don't know, like jealousy, maybe. I think she's registering. It's like, oh, oh. And it's like sizing up. Like, how can I use this? Okay, the earring falls. What can that be? Because, like, she's eagle-eyed and she sees everything. And I think she sees potential in everything to be a... A tool. A tool. There is that. But then there's also some anger that, like, Michael gets her gifts. There's like a... Oh, yeah. Like a you have the life I should have. Sort yeah, of a, you should not be giving A flash. This yeah, this yeah, is a... absolutely. Yeah. And she meets... The babies. Oh, that yeah. She uh, that's kind well, of well. They so the baby starts crying. They have the mm-hmm. baby monitor, mm-hmm. and they hear the baby start crying, and they head upstairs to for Peyton to meet the baby, and then Solomon starts calling her. Yes, and right at the door of the nursery, so they haven't gotten into the baby yet. And Solomon comes up and shakes her hand, and he gets a little spot of paint on <gasps> that the, flash the yes. um, cuff of her shirt. Yeah, it's like and she has white, a lot, of, a lot of white clothes, white long sleeve, like button up blouse. And it's like just an instant, but you see this splash of rage just hatred. Come across, yeah, yes, come across her face, and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." He immediately picks up on it, and he knows he knows something's not right, even though she, you know, maintains composure and it's like, oh, other than that, other than that look, yeah. But he's obviously he's obviously not important enough to her to completely keep the mask on. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, Little she, did she know. I think also she probably doesn't think he would pick up on it, maybe? Possibly, but I think it's also, it almost seemed like a power thing, like you're beneath me. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. much so. But it also kind of took her off guard, too, because I don't think she was expecting, expecting him to be intelligent enough to catch it. Yeah, Because she everything she does is so calculated right. and per, like perfected for the moment. Right. She wasn't anticipating that, so she didn't have a moment to calibrate her response. Her, her, yes. So okay. she responded the way she would naturally, but right. then it was like, oh, wait. And the mask goes, you just saw it slip just enough. And then she goes back to, oh, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With her so, very, like, monotone, like, soothing yeah, yeah. voice she has most of the time. Yeah, but it was just enough that he picked up on it, and through the rest of the time, it's like he's unsure of her, he's weary of her. Yeah, he knows there's something hiding there. Yeah, he knows something's wrong. Something lurking beneath that <laughs> perfect exterior there. Yes. In the corner. And so at dinner that night, everything's going great. They're all getting on just fine. Claire and Michael go into the kitchen and they're like, what do you 
think. And Peyton overhears him talking, and she's noticed that Claire's earring has fallen out again. So she picks it up, and she goes over to the baby's basket, and is like, Oh, no! Joe! Get that out of your mouth! And they come running in and, right. what is it, what is it? Oh, he almost swallowed this earring. It's like planting that seed, that first seed of Claire is incapable of being a mother. Right. Or like like she's a careless mother or right. something. Just planting that seed of um, doubt. And then also, dun 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 she comes to the rescue, which makes her seem like a great name. Oh yeah, she's person. so astute. And, and then I think I thought it was interesting that she also used the earrings that she kind of resented as a tool there. Ooh. As a weapon, even. So, of course, she saved the baby, so they have to hire her. Right, yeah. And she is a live-in nanny, which I think would be very difficult to have somebody living in your house. It'd be one thing to have a nanny that just comes in and then leaves and goes home. Right. Then you have this person here all the time. Yeah, that would that's a lot of time on the greenhouse. But also, it's kind of like you have, like, there's a companion. It's companionship. It's someone you can count on. I don't know. And I think that's one of the things, too. I think Claire genuinely thinks that her and Peyton are friends. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So that's just another layer of betrayal and deception there. Yeah. Right. The first night that Peyton's there. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. It's this song again that we heard in the opening oh, credits. She gets up and goes upstairs. And this is all just real creepy anyway. Well, she goes to the baby's room and she picks up a pill and you're like, holy shit, she's going to kill gonna the baby. She's going to the baby. Like, I, and I was like, why would she do that? The movie's going to end so quick. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and then she ends up covering the baby monitor, which like, ah. So, because you know it's not going to be, she's not going to smother the baby, but you're like, what else could this be? You don't really know, though, because it's yeah. very dramatic the way that she's like yeah. picking it up and holding it up Raising high and approaching the baby's crib. And, yeah. <laughs> And then she, like, puts it just past the baby's head onto the baby monitor. So they leave you wondering up till that last second what's happening there. But, yeah. And she slowly starts unbuttoning her nightgown, and she picks the baby up, and she sits down and starts nursing him. Yes. Yeah, and so you're like, oh, my God, this woman lost it, which she has, but you don't realize what she's doing. Because at first I'm just like, oh, she thinks this is her baby, which she does think it's her baby. But it's also another subtle way to kind of push Claire out of the picture. Push Claire out of the picture. And it was interesting because that whole scene, because they've got like the music, it's like this sweet touching scene until you think about what's actually happening mm-hmm. there. Right, because yeah. the music is yeah, kind it's, of... Yeah, it's almost like a beautiful, like, oh, mother nursing her baby, like, so sweet. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, but wait a second, it's not her kid. <laughs> so not her baby! <laughs> that just adds a whole new dimension to this. <laughs> and Amanda Silver at um, the Austin Film Festival said, especially men would come up to her and just talk about how disturbing that scene was. Huh, interesting. <laughs> like, I think more than anything else in the movie, they were really upset by that scene. Well, that's such, like, that, I mean, nursing a child is, like, that. that's your child. It's like, that's a very personal, intimate bond. I'm it is. Sure. I mean, there were wet nurses back before Formula, and I even, mm-hmm. I know some people who, have like a nurse somebody else's baby to like teach the mom how to get the baby to latch and stuff mm-hmm. and i think if you, the mom's fine with it you're fine with it no but, big deal right but in this case it was like covert and complete invasion yeah okay. very oh. much an invasion yeah and it's it's definitely you get, definitely get that feeling from mm-hmm. this scene that she's it's like that subtle just i'm starting to take take your things and assume yeah. them and i'm just assuming these roles slowly but surely yeah I do have to say, though, that one thing that I really liked about this movie was how they approach breastfeeding. Because, you know... They don't cover it. Yeah, they just 
Claire, in one scene, just sits down and just pops the baby on. Which, you know, with so much going on in the world today about, I even heard a guy, we were sitting in the waiting room um, when my grandma was in the hospital not too long ago, and this lady was feeding her baby, and there was this older guy that was like, she needs to cover that up. That's just disgusting. Stop sexualizing a woman's body. It's not just for your enjoyment. And his wife was sitting next to him and goes, the baby's eating. Stop it. And that going back to what you were saying about men finding that scene more disturbing, especially when you're actually breastfeeding at the time, you you don't really think of your boobs as sexual. You, they're just, they're kind of, you don't. It's You associate with them completely differently. And mm-hmm. I can see men not having that disconnect, not being able to like register in their brains. They, they probably look at them the same all throughout. I haven't asked them, but I'm assuming they just, <laughs> they see them as the same regardless. So for a woman, that's going to be less creepy because it's like, oh yeah, she's feeding a baby. Yeah. And for guys, it's like, you know, what's she doing? Oh, oh my gosh. Boobs. 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 Yes. Boobs. Boobs. <laughs> so, I don't know. That 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 does, that, I find it interesting that that bothered guys more than women. Yeah, I, I did too. My whole thing is it just felt like, again. well, it felt like an invasion of, of a woman's, like, not privacy, but just. It felt like a violation. It did. And for the, for the baby, too. Cause like, yeah. So it, it did feel like a violation to me. So that bothered me, but not the actual, like, seeing a woman rinse a baby. Yeah. No. No, like but I said, like, that was, like, almost a beautiful scene if you don't think about the fact that she's sneakily nursing someone else's baby. <laughs> sneakily to, nursing. Well, yeah, but to steal the baby from her. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to sway his allegiance. Yeah. Sway his allegiance. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, they're, they're pretty swayable. So it's like, oh, boom, cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we have this scene, which is another important point in the plot, where Claire and Michael are going to go out to dinner with Marlene and her husband. Right. He has such a little part, I don't even remember what his name is. A creep. Yeah, he's a creep. Because he comes in and he sees Peyton and he's like, oh. Maybe we need a nanny. He's very dude, bro. Claire is getting ready to go and she has this red dress and she's like, I just always feel so glamorous and sexy in this dress. Michael bought it for me. And Payne's like, oh, oh. it's that. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Claire walks out to get her shoes and she comes back. She puts the dress on and there's a spot on it. And she goes, oh, it must have been from my perfume. And she's trying to get it off. And Peyton goes downstairs get club soda, to get yeah. club soda. And that's when the husband makes his creepy comments. And in comes Marlene, yes, played by Julianne Moore, and she right off the bat has Peyton's number. Yeah. She goes, oh, it's nice to meet you. A poison. And Peyton's like, what? And she goes, oh, you're wearing Claire's perfume. Little does she know she just used that perfume to stain the red dress so Claire can't wear it. But so Peyton, like, doesn't, sexy. she kind of just, like, brushes that light off. Like, okay, whatever, I'm going to go up and help her get ready. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, she doesn't really, like think about the fact that she shouldn't be wearing yeah i don't know there, there was something a little weird with that scene to me. yeah mm-hmm. and so claire comes down and she has this exchange with michael about oh i thought you're gonna wear that dress well what i don't look good no and... no no you look fine and then they're having dinner this is where marlene makes because she's like never let a woman never let a beautiful woman have a position of power in your house yeah which is again that subtle pitting against well i mean that's not subtle that's like blatant yeah. hitting women against women. Right. And like, she says... You must be in competition. And she says that um, a woman is made to feel like a failure if she doesn't bring in 50000 a year and still make time for blowjobs and lasagna. Yes. And, and then, uh, then her husband makes some crack about how she's not good at making lasagna or something. Uh, yeah, he's so funny. funny. When does he leave? 
Daddy. <laughs> and we also learn Michael will smoke when he's around Marlene. When he's around Marlene. Which yes. is important for... For future reference. Future reference. Yes. Log that away. But yeah, just all of these little things that Peyton are doing, they seem just petty at first. It's just like, oh, well, I'm going to ruin her dress so she can't wear a nice dress. You just don't really see how she's laying the groundwork. Right. So that's all this is. And it's like, and then that leads into Peyton and Emma's relationship because they start forming this very close bond because not yes, only is she... while they're out at dinner. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, not only is she forming this bond with the baby, but she's, you know, she's in charge of taking care of Emma as well. And they start talking about, you know, their secret club and they'll tell secrets. Well, she's got her, she's got her like down in her little basement room and they're watching like a horror film. Yeah, and she's, she's like, my mom would never let me watch this. And she's like, well, she doesn't have to know. That's our secret. Yes. You know, can you, do you know what a secret is and explaining that and just really forming this bond with Emma and still, and, and this is where it was kind of like, oh, okay. So she wants the whole girl to teach secrets. Okay. Okay. And I said, cause you know, she's building to something. You don't quite know what it is. But then once having the little girl keep secrets, it's like, okay, okay, we're getting somewhere. So yeah, it's just, again, all this groundwork laying to her master plan. But then she also finds out in that scene from Emma, she says that uh, there's a, a boy being mean to her at school. She's like, well, what did your mom do about it? She's like, nothing. There's nothing she could do. She also finds out, too, that Michael and oh, Marlene, that's right. Michael and Marlene used to... were boyfriend and girlfriend when they were younger, yeah. oh. which will also come back into play later. Futuristic yes. reference. No, and then I think that that's the next scene when Solomon sees Peyton nursing the baby. Yeah, he's painting the trim on the house and sees her through the window. And Peyton makes it very clear to him that nobody will believe his version of the story because hers will be much more interesting. Yes. Uh, b- first, before that happens, though, there's the scene where she's pushing the baby through the park and she oh. runs into the other lady with the baby and the baby's like, oh, he has your eyes. And she's like, you think so? She's like, he thinks, like, all happy. Like, you think so? That's oh, the, that felt genuine. Yeah. And then she heads on to the school and confronts this little boy that's being mean to Emma. To Emma, She tells him, like, don't ever be mean to her again or I'll kill you, I think, were her, like, exact words. Mm-hmm. And then she walks by Emma again on the swing set and is like, remember, secret club. Like, adding to that level of keep this secret from yeah. your parents. So but Emma's I'm the good just, guy here. Yeah, Emma's like, oh, my hero. Yeah, exactly. So she's definitely not telling her mom now. So she swayed Emma's allegiance. Yes, very much so. <laughs> there was this bit in a review that I read that it said, when the Bartell's five-year-old daughter tells Peyton in confidence that a boy at school has threatened her, Peyton's response is heroically cracked. Showing up at the schoolyard, she strides Terminator style up to the pipsqueak bully and puts the fear of God into him. It's a child's fantasy and a parent's fantasy all rolled into one. You've got to admire a woman like that. Yeah. They do get you like cheering for her in that scene, but if you really stop to think about it, the way she handled it is not an appropriate response. Well, again, and, at it, all. and it wasn't out of concern for Emma at all. It was right. just to build that trust with her so she would be more likely to, she would love Peyton more than her mom to make put her right. mom in the villain role and Peyton in the hero. It wasn't role. to help Emma and it wasn't to help the little boy be a better person. It was, it was to further simply her to further her agenda. Yep. Yep, um, yep. So then we get to the scene with Solomon. Yes. And I mean, yeah, and she does let him know that no one will believe him. So again, it's this She small... sa- she says her story will be much more interesting than his. Yes. And, and that's very ominous. I got the feeling that I thought she touched him inappropriately. That's what I got. Oh. Because just like the way, because it's so predatory. Like she's up and, and I, I almost thought she touched him inappropriately. Just being in somebody's face can be pretty. Yeah. I, I, I think she did though. Because I think it was a dominance. Pretty assaulty. Too. Huh. Interesting. Because yeah, it's like, this is what, you know, 
I can do and no one will believe you. Right. And she, even just with her words though, she kind of, she's like, did you like watching me? Mm-hmm. Like she's, she's definitely being very assaulting. Yeah. 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 Overall. I think more was going on. I think that's what was happening. I have to watch it again, but I'm almost, yeah. I'm, that's the version that I got. Well, and that's what Carl said too. Yeah. yeah. I didn't ever pick up on that but after you said it I can mm-hmm. definitely see that she probably was physically doing something to you. Yeah. yeah. After this scene it's like even though she says you know my story will be more compelling and he doesn't he does he keeps quiet because he's scared of her. He's terrified and he loves his, this family and he wants right. to stay so he just stays away from her but even with that she still has to get rid of him. Yeah. Yeah. So but we have a really touching scene next where Michael is standing in the doorway of the shed and he's like Solomon come here. I need you to come over oh, here that's for right. a minute. And Solomon after that first scene he's all, he thinks he's getting like fired or worse. He's in trouble. Yeah, he's pretty sure he's in trouble. And they open the door and there's his brand new bicycle, bicycle. that he had wanted. That was really sweet. Yeah, that was really sweet and it was sad because you knew what was coming. And then I think it's the next scene. They basically, Peyton makes it look like Solomon has an inappropriate Well, she mentions it first while they're folding, like they're folding laundry yeah. and she brings it up. She's like, you know, I don't like the way that Solomon is with Emma. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like, no, he's fine. But she, you can tell that she's like, wait a second, am I missing something? And like then she again, sows those seeds of doubt there. Yeah, and Peyton's like, oh, no, you're right. I must be wrong. Right. And she also says... <laughs> You'd be able to tell if Emma was keeping a secret. Yes. Well, Emma is keeping secrets from her with the movies that that's her right. And then she watched. goes to her that night and she says, "You know, you can always tell." And Emma gets kind of like, you can tell she's like nervous. Yeah. But it's it's the movies and other stuff. It's not what alleging exactly or insinuating. But still, that's that's immediately where. Yeah, and that's where you start seeing like. Oh, that's why she's planning this all out. Yeah, it's like, oh my god, this woman yes. is terrifying. And there's yes. from here a lot of things start happening. It get, it picks up the pace pretty quickly. She says that she needs some batteries and sends Claire to look in Solomon's cart for them. She, there she finds a pair of Emma's underwear. So of course, they Solomon is sent away because they think yep. he's being inappropriate with Emma, and they do let him keep the bike. Right. Claire is going through all this grief and shame, thinking she's a terrible mother to let this happen. Emma's furious with her mother for sending Solomon away. Right, right. Because she loves Solomon. She spends all night up with Michael typing out this very important proposal. Yes. Claire is supposed to go and mail this. Peyton steals it from her purse and tears it up. And she even, like, talks Michael into letting her because he's like, no, 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 it's okay. You have too much going on because she's all kind of been, like, a little bit of a mess here. And she's like, no, I'll do it. And, like, puts it in her purse, mm-hmm. and Peyton, like, steals it, tears it up, and then there's this hole. And you get to see that real, that rage that's always just lurking underneath She kind of lets it out for a minute. Yeah, she, like, destroyed the bathroom stall, yes. ripping up this file. So, she does that. Michael's furious with Claire, but, of course, he's like, oh, it's not your fault, but you can just tell he's just teeming with anger. And there's a few more scenes. I, I know when uh, Claire goes to the post office and realizes she's missing it. She oh, has yeah. an asthma attack. And mm-hmm. I think that's when Peyton picks up on the, the stress-induced asthma. Mm-hmm. Is when she comes back to the car and she can't breathe. Yes. And Peyton notices that. So all these things start happening. Um, and I think the biggest one, Peyton mentions to Michael that they should plan a surprise party for Claire's birthday because she's been working so Oh, hard. she, like, goes to work. 
to his work yeah, to yeah. tell him and she's and like all of his all of his like co-workers are like hey, hey, hey. yeah thinking that he's he's like yeah got something going on with the nanny yeah um and she's all like the picture of perfection yes so she puts this idea in his head and she's like why don't you know, why don't we ask Marlene? And he's like, oh, yeah, Marlene will take over. So Milo and Marlene start planning this birthday party for Claire. But this allows Peyton to still Marlene's lighter and then make it look as if Marlene and Michael are having an affair because the only time Michael smokes is when he's with Marlene. And then Marlene, or Michael's not at the office, but he comes home smelling like smoke. So Claire's like, where is he? All about right. he's, like, meeting up with Marlene to plan this birthday Peyton party. also makes this um, comment to... Um, to Claire, like, oh, she she's talking about, like, y'all's physical relationship must be great. Well, a man never forgets his first love. And Claire's like, well, actually, I wasn't his first love. She's like, you'll never guess who was. She was like, was it Marlene? She's like, you could just tell by how he looks at her. Like, she's sowing these little, like, seeds of doubt, but making her seem like she's, like, this nice person. Still. Like, I'm just helping. I'm yeah. Just, I'm just giving my advice or my, my opinion. Well, I'm not even giving advice or opinion. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just, like, observing innocently mm-hmm. from the sidelines here. Very much so. Yeah. And then also... At this point, it's kind of important. Claire has her greenhouse. <laughs> yeah, she does. She has. She has a very nice greenhouse, and she uh, even talks with. I think she tells Emma about that. She's mentioning that the sides are like plastic, and she's like, "Yeah, but the roof will be glass to let the sunlight in." Mm-hmm. All uh, which will be important later. Yes, and then the roof also opens to let rain in. Mm-hmm. It's a very nice greenhouse. So how does it? Okay, so Claire goes to drop off clothes at dry cleaners, and she finds Marlene's lighter. That Peyton has put in Michael's pant pocket, or his, his well, she his she drops him off, and the dry cleaner's like, "Oh, he's been smoking," and he's like, "Well, it smells like cigarette smoke." And then as she's walking away, he pulls the lighter out and is like, "Oh, you probably will want this," and it's Marlene's little gold yeah, lighter yeah. that she always has. So again, I think that does that cause an asthma kind of. She's starting to get pretty panicky at that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that she was a little easy. Yeah. Um, also, how she uses an inhaler is hilarious because it never fully goes in her mouth. She's it's just, like, just she kind of like does a little puff. Yeah, she's like, like breath spray. Yeah, it's like I, I don't think they really. I don't think asthma in like asthma related um, inhalers were very prevalent in movies at that point because it wasn't used very correctly. Yeah. So Clara comes home. She's all upset. She's Michael's crying. there. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh, the scene sucked. Oh, and it sucked so bad. So painful for everybody. Oh, and she confronts him. She's like, you're having an affair with Marlene. I think she says something much more explicit. Yes, she does. And Michael's, you know, trying to calm her down. And he kind of glances to the side. And after she blows up and, yeah, says something that you can't take back, he says. he's like, Claire, stop it. She's like, stop what? He's like, there are people here. And everyone's there for her surprise party. Yeah. This is also the last time we see Marlene's husband because he's holding the giant cake. And oh, Michael yeah. actually had misgivings about the party. Like, the night before, he'd been like, should we just call it off? Because she doesn't seem like she's doing good. And Peyton, Peyton's like, no, no. A little fun oh. is what everyone needs to cheer them up. Like, she keeps pushing for that party. Like, yes. Because she yes. has it all planned out. So, of course, this this is a huge wrench in Marlene and Claire further isolating her it's also a huge wrench with her and michael because he's like embarrassed in front of all of their friends so again it's just subtly subtly isolating her just pushing her just yeah a little bit more out of the picture just making her seem a little more unstable and so the next time that we see claire and michael together they're in the nursery and 
Claire's apologized and they're saying, I don't know what's happening. She's kind of like curled up in the chair. Like yeah. you can tell she's like kind of broken at mm-hmm. this point. It's, it's, and she wants to go away, but she just wants the family. She doesn't want Peyton there again. She's like, it just seems like she, she has a feeling right. like, and she's then, like, I, it just feels like everything started going wrong. And this is where Michael isn't so supportive, but because the danger isn't so obvious. Right. She's, like we talked about. Peyton's pretty and a girl. So like, how just, could she be doing anything like, wrong? She means well. Yes. Oh, she, everything's so nice. Like he doesn't see the danger. Right. And she's come through for the family in a lot of difficult circumstances. And he, he doesn't quite point it out, but he almost points out like she's come through in a lot of areas that you've failed. Yeah. Essentially. That subtle reminder like, hey. Yeah. You're not doing everything. Uh, Not only are you not, but somebody else is doing it for you and better than you. Yeah. Yeah, It was very painful. And all the while, Hayden is listening on the baby monitor. While she polishes the table. Yep. Creepily. So, creepily (laughs) polishing the table. (laughs) Pretty much. We also have a scene this night where, I think it's this night, they hear something downstairs and Michael gets out of bed and... Peyton has dropped ice all over the floor. Oh, yeah, and she's right. obviously naked underneath this, like, the thinnest cotton nightgown. Very silhouette Yeah, yes. she's like, do you see something you like? She also picks up the ice off the floor and puts it back in the freezer. I know, I thought you'd pick up on that. Yes, well, she's a nanny, not a housekeeper. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I take care of children. I don't clean. Yes. Get it straight. <laughs> Pretty thing here. We're laying the work for the seduction of Michael. Yes. The seduction. And there's a scene where Emma is talking to Peyton about how much she hates her mother for sending Solomon away. And, and she's like, why did you do something? And she's like, well, I was afraid she'd send me away too. Well, there's also this one scene that I found to be just like heart-wrenching where Claire's uh, like sitting on the couch in the living room and Emma is kind of walking towards her and she like puts out her arm like she wants to hug her and Emma goes past her. And goes into the kitchen where you just like see the shot of like Peyton in a chair like through the doorway and she's holding the baby Joe. Yep. And Emma goes up and she puts her arm around her and kind of looks at Claire and Claire just like crumbles. And it yeah. was just like, oh my goodness. It was like the perfect was, like, portrait painful. of a mother and like Claire was forced and to And she look was at the her. opposite. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was, was like that subtle just very I'm replacing painful. you. Yeah. But no one else is picking up on it exactly. besides Claire, which is the beauty of psychological yeah. torment. But Claire at this point <laughs> is feeling like she deserves it. Yeah, she's in there like I have failed, you know, like this is that is who she who should be watching my kids, and I'm, yeah, it was it was painful. Exactly, yeah. I let this happen to my baby with Solomon, and uh, yeah, it was. And mm -hmm. in one of their secret club meetings, Peyton tells Emma that you know she was left all alone, that she didn't have a mom, and she had to take care of herself. And Emma says, "If something happens to my mommy, will you take care of me?" And Peyton says, "Yes, and your daddy too." Yes. Yeah. Don't worry about daddy. Which isn't creepy at all. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't remember being worried about daddy, so why are you yeah. bringing it up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, kids don't. Yeah. And something <laughs> we didn't mention was when Peyton moved in, she brought this wind chime to hang outside oh, that's of right. Joe's that's bedroom. Right. To help him sleep. Mm-hmm. For the party incident, Marlene had noted this wind chime and said it was really annoying. Like, why would you hang that outside? Like, oh, what's that terrible noise? Yes. <laughs> And Peyton's like... Well, while Marlene (laughs) is looking through... She's a realtor, and she's looking through some listings. She notices this wind chime hanging in front of the good doctor's house. And this Mm -hmm. is right after the the party fiasco, so she and Claire aren't talking at this point. Yeah. She does some research. She figures out who Peyton is, and she's calling, desperately trying to get a hold of Claire. But Claire is not answering her calls because she's avoiding her because she's embarrassed about the party incident. 
So I don't even know if Peyton could have planned that. It worked perfectly. It worked, yeah. It really, really fed into her plan. In the middle of the night, Peyton had gotten up and rigged the greenhouse so that when the door was opened, it would release the uh, glass ceilings yeah. and they would come crashing down. Yeah. Presumably to kill Claire. Yeah. Right. That's... Well, Marlene shows up at the house. First she goes to the greenhouse where... No, she doesn't. She comes to the house oh, and she confronts... She went... Oh, no, she called. She called. She called the house several times, yeah. And she left a message... At, at the greenhouse, at, yeah. At the one where she where um, Claire works, not mm-hmm. at her personal right. house. Yeah. And she goes to the house... She does leave a message with Peyton, too. It says, call Marlene, it's urgent. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Peyton, like, puts that in her pocket. Yeah, because she's like, I'll be sure to tell her. And she's like, of course she will. Yeah. Like, she's got her number. She knows this lady isn't doing anything to help Claire. But at that point, well, here I'm being all judgy. I don't know what I'd do in that position, but it's like this lady's like in their house taking care of their kids. Don't tip her off that you know who she is just yet. Yeah. This crazy person is like loose in their house with their children and they're yeah. at home. Probably don't, don't tell her. Yeah, you don't know what she's capable of yeah, at this point. So don't. Maybe, maybe like call the cops on your way over there or something. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. regardless. So she goes to the house and she's, she confronts Peyton. She's like, I know everything. And where's Claire? And she goes, and she's just like, oh, please don't tell her. Please don't well, tell her. Well, first she's, at first Peyton's very confrontational, but then she like shifts. Oh, yeah, yeah, She yeah. like shifts and they're like, oh, please don't. It's okay. Please don't tell Claire. She's in the greenhouse, but leave her alone. Don't tell her. And she, out yeah. goes Marlene, stomp into the greenhouse, opens the door. She's like, oh, I'm going to tell her. Yeah. Yeah. And Bas- off she goes. Basically goading her in. And you going. know, you know what's coming. Yeah. So she but opens. you can't stop her. She opens oh. the door. The glass ceiling literally cracks and Marlene is no longer Yes. Well, she's like, she's like, like, she like throws the door open and runs in. Like, it's not like an open the door standing call. She like is in there. Yeah. Oh, it was rough. Because at first I was like, oh, well, maybe she's okay. But these giant shards of glass, like. All fell on her. Yeah. You're. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have what to me is kind of the most diabolical scene of the entire movie. It's very calculated. It's the one that just kind of, I don't know, makes my skin crawl so much. She goes through the house. And without really any feeling, empties all of Claire's inhalers. And, like, she yeah. knows Marlene's lying out there dead. And she's just yeah. very, like, calm and, like, uh, is she humming? She's, like, she should be, like, humming. I think she's humming the song, too. Could the wander, be. What was it? Wandering one? or And, like, poking it with a hole and, like, emptying all the inhalers. Was, yeah. Just like that. Just chilling. Just like it was a household chore that she needed yes. to do. Poor wandering one. Is and then the yeah. she goes for a walk. Yeah, and then she takes, it's, is it just Joe? She just takes Joe. Yeah, because yeah, Emma's at school. Yeah. Emma's at school. Joe, so Joe and her go on this lovely walk, and Claire, of course, rushes home, because she gets the message that Marlene's on her way there, or whatever. I can't remember what the message was, but she knows Marlene's there. And so she ends up going to the greenhouse. She finds her stress-induced asthma attack, no inhaler. Yeah. Ugh. And that scene where she's laying on the porch. Oh, just gasping. Well, she, like, runs through the house, like, trying all her inhalers, and, like, her breath is getting tighter and tighter, and you're getting, you're just like, oh, my goodness, please breathe. Yeah. Yeah. I was You probably stop breathing at that point, too, because you're, like, feeling what she's feeling, and then she looks out at the greenhouse, and, like, her purse is out there by it, and you know she has a good inhaler in her purse, and she's, like, trying to reach it, and then, like, collapses on the porch. Yeah, and she just and starts these, turning blue. Yeah, these shallow, like, these... <laughs> Yeah. And her like, eyes are just staring. Focused. Like they're just, and they're unblinking, <sighs> just like focused stare. It's so it's creepy. It's just an amazing I scene. I was screaming. I was like, she cannot die. Yeah, I was what like having happening? trouble breathing. <laughs> yeah. And so, but then, <laughs> this was actually really funny to me because I was, because the 
ambulances come by. And you woo-woo, they pass by Peyton where she's walking. And you literally just see her roll her eyes like, oh, brother. Yep. Really? Like <laughs> was, they had to show up. Like, that was so comedic to me. Who found Claire to call this? She started to call 911 right. because of Marlene. That's yeah. right. And so they so they got that call. That's right. Yeah, so they were able to save her. And, of course, Peyton comes back and plays the concerned nanny. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, she goes from, like, rolling her eyes, like, why did they have to show up to crying? Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, great. Got to put that mask on again. Okay, here we go. This just could have been so easy if you just hadn't called. Like, if you just had yeah. died. So Claire does do a stint in the hospital. And when she comes home, she's still... You know, things are just off. Well, because what was great, what the advantage was for Peyton, her being in the hospital, is Peyton can slowly start changing the routine, inserting herself into Claire's position, because Claire's Claire's in the hospital, and she's just trying to help out and create a sense of normalcy for the kids. Well, there's also the the scene where Michael is out chaining the door to the greenhouse shut, Mm -hmm. and Peyton comes running out there like, oh, are you okay? And like, all like concerned, and then... Is that in the rain? Yes. It is and in the rain, like, and she's in her see-through nightgown again, which just gets more and more see-through as the rain continues. It's And so she's drying him off because he's all wet. I think he has to take his shirt off, and she's, like, yeah. rubbing his back. I'm like, this is uncomfortable. Yeah, and she kind of, she says something to him, and he says, Peyton, there's only one woman for me. And she's like, I understand. And, like, walks out of the room. But you but understand that he's saying Claire. that Claire is the only woman for him. But you don't quite... And you assume Peyton does too, but apparently that's not what she got from she that like, statement. He obviously meant me. I'll just go. And I kind of thought it was funny in that scene because obviously, like, good for Michael for turning her down, but at the same time, he's like made out like as this hero for not cheating on his wife. In but this it situation. also, but it shows that men can show restraint. They that's just true. aren't these lustful animals that just can't help themselves right. around an attractive woman in a see-through nightgown right or whatever but because he is able to show restraint which a lot of times in movies men are not characterized right and he and he made and like i don't know just something about that portrayal like no but you're right he did I not did deserve a medal because they because <laughs> they like made it almost to where you're like well he's gonna cheat on her because his wife's so awful and she's so perfect and then he doesn't you're like it's like do 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 do. Yeah, yeah. When it's he's just doing it's like basic human decency, not yeah heroics. It but still, I'm glad again, he didn't. I'm it shouldn't be sensationalized that he's he is a faithful husband. Right, right. Let's just go with the territory if that's the agreement that the husband and wife have. Right. It, if it was a reverse scene, you would expect the woman not to cheat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Complete um, double standard. But that just with this buildup that they've had leading up to it, you can tell that they're like. It, that they're expecting you to expect her him to be like, well, you know, you're the they're perfect woman. So I, maybe I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I just no, no, I was no. kind of like, uh, like they're expecting that he's expecting that yes. she's. Expecting. But what they don't know, what they is don't that I know that they know that I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so when Claire comes home, they've put up this new border in the baby's yes. room, and she's changed all the colors. No, it's not just the the border. She's changed the whole bedroom. Yeah, because Michael. He doesn't cheat on her, but he is having his doubts about her abilities yeah, as a person and her sanity. He's handling her with kid gloves, yeah. for sure. Why is the whole nursery changed or something? And they were like, oh, well, it was supposed to be a surprise. Because before I was like this. We thought really, you'd like it. Yeah, it's like, how dare you not like my gift? You can take it down <laughs> if you don't like it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because it was this beautiful, like, sunshiny yellow nursery. And then it was all blue with little sea turtles and things. Sea turtles, yes. It was a border of sea turtles. Sea turtles. So she goes to Marlene's office. Well, she finds the note in Peyton's pocket. Oh, yeah. That Marlene called and it's urgent. And she's 
And then Marlene was dead in the greenhouse. She's like, what was so urgent? Like, you can tell she's like starting to kind of put stuff together because she mm-hmm. already, she doesn't really care for Peyton at this point. Yeah, she's suspicious. On one hand, kind of like, is it all in my head? Like, am I cracking up? But then on the other hand, she's Fine. she's kind of trusting her gut. And she's like, I'm going to go see what Marlene wanted to tell me. She's like going to try to find that out. So she runs to her office. Well, either way, she wants resolution. Yeah. She's like, if this is in my head, I want to know. Right. Well, she could tell like there was an urgency to it. It was yeah. more than just wanting to talk about the party. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, you know, I'm going to go see what's up. So, yeah, she goes to her office and she asks her assistants, like, what was she doing? And she looks at the... The listings that... And she sees she that she doesn't see the wind chime, but she sees that it was the doctor. Yeah, the doctor's house. Residence. So she's like, well, I'm going to go there and look around and see what I can... So she goes there, and just by happenstance, the realtor that's showing the house is there, that was scheduled to show to another person. The person didn't right. show. So she just assumes that identity. She's like, yes, I'm Mrs. Harris. So he yeah. takes her through the house, which is oddly still furnished. Like, there's still remnants, not just furniture. There's... Yeah personal item and they go into the nursery what would have been the baby's nursery they have all there are these toys and the bassinet and a and high chair a that breast same pump. sea turtle and her. the same sea turtle and then her. i think then she notices the breast pump yeah, yeah. the guy says and that's a weird looking weird. toy yeah oh and, and she pump. had pointed out uh just a little bit back to michael that the baby wasn't nursing as mm-hmm. much yeah, and like, he was like, well, it's probably fine. What does the doctor say? She's like, well, he's not worried because he's still gaining weight. And he's like, ah, oh, it's probably fine. It kind of blows it off. Yeah, yeah. Because, again, it's like, oh, honey. So then she sees that and it's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, so she rushes home. And this scene perplexes me. I love it, but it also perplexes me because she comes home. Michael and Peyton are setting the table for dinner. And she decks Peyton right in the yes. face. Sends her flying. I'm like, how hard did she hit this woman? Because she goes flying across the table. Yes. And, like, knocks off half of the placements. And Michael's just kind of like, what is happening? But, yet again, he he doesn't. He is very supportive of that one. Yeah, he's like, whoa, whoa, honey. Yeah. But but yeah. when she when she like starts explaining it, he's not like, yo, you're crazy. He's like, okay, Peyton, get out of here. That's when Peyton starts kind of letting the She's the like, but you ball. said there was only one woman for you. And he's like, that was, you know, Claire, yeah, not Claire. you. Um, but she's like, look, she's losing her mind, Michael. And he's like, no. He's like, no, you need to go. Yeah. And, and she's like, like, okay, I guess I'll just go. Let me get my stuff. And they're like, no, you need to go no, now. No, she says, let me get my baby. Let me get my baby. That's right. I mean my things. Freeze. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and they're like, uh, no, you can go now. Okay, thanks, bye. Yeah, they're like, we'll send you. And then as she's walking out the door, they're like, uh, the key? She's like, oh, of course. Because obviously there's no way she could have made an extra set of keys well, no. or anything, no. you know. Well, or there's a separate entrance. Because this is what, this, this kind of reminded me of an homage to Psycho a little bit. Because after she leaves and they're like, okay, lock the doors, lock the kids in the room, call the police, what's happening? And like, we're, we're leaving right now. He, they hear something, I think it, they hear the song playing in the basement. Yes. So he's like walking down. It's like you're, and so it's very, very suspenseful and you're just waiting. But they don't even call the police, though. That's the thing. They're just like, oh, we're yeah. going to go somewhere. Soon. They haven't called the police yet. No. But they're like, we're just going to leave the house. We're going to go get, we're going to go to a hotel. That's, yeah. And um, so he's walking down these stairs to check out what's going on. So he goes down the stairs into the basement. He goes into the room. He's looking around. And then all of a sudden, without, because you, because you think that, okay, she's not down there. He's going to walk back up. And just when you think it's safe, she appears with a shovel and just 
knocks him in the head. Right. Sending him over the railing and apparently breaking both of his legs. Right. Well, because the music is coming from her alarm clock again. Yes. He turns it off and then, like, you're like, okay. And he turns to walk away and it, like, starts, like, dirt, 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 like, going off again. And you're just like, oh. And he turns yeah. it off and you're like, okay, everything's fine. And, yeah, she, like, pops out from the top of the staircase. And, yeah. It's it reminded me of hot. when, um, <laughs> the scene when the detective is killed in Psycho. Because it's just like, yeah. I'm not fond of jump scares, but I thought those two were very. They don't. There's effective. not a lot of them in this movie, that but was it definitely. Really scary. Yeah, it was. It definitely builds the intensity there. They yeah. do call the police, but the police go, "Is it an emergency?" And they go, "Well, no, she's left." And they're like, That's "Okay, right. well, we'll send a car when we can." Yeah. But one of the fun things about that is the address that he gives the police is the actual the address, address of, of the house. house. Yeah. Huh. Claire so, and the kids are upstairs and right. she hears something. How does she know to go down and to leave the kids up there? I think because she, she locks them in the room. But she does, but I don't remember why she left them I think them in she's the calling place. for Michael and he, he doesn't, doesn't answer. That's right. So she's like just going to go investigate. And she tells the little girl to not unlock the door for anybody but her. Yeah. And of course she goes downstairs and as soon as she's downstairs, the little girl comes to her, Mommy! Yes. <laughs> and that, I think it's because Peyton attacks Claire. Right. Well, she pops out with her shovel, but Claire like catches her just in time and they're like, they have kind of a battle down there. Yeah. Before she finally a, does knock Claire battle out. Battle royale. A battle. Yeah, that's intense. Like it Claire's was. fighting for her life. Peyton is too. And Peyton's Even... got like this creepy smile most of the time too. Oh yeah, and she's having fun. Just... <laughs> One of the interesting things is all through the movie, Peyton has been wearing these icy colors like blue and white. white. A lot of white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And different tones really of blue. Really Whereas the family has been wearing a lot of like earthy tones. Yes. Very, yep. Also a looser kind of baggier clothing and everything Peyton wears is very like form fitted yes. and tight. Peyton is wearing a red sweater. Yes. Yes. It's, it's baggy. Yeah. It's the only time that she wears a different color. Like a primary color. Right. Yeah. And it is this vibrant red. Yeah. Which is her lust for blood yes it, it, it's very shocking in several of the scenes yeah it's it very, adds to the intensity of that part yeah very visually gripping <clears throat> so yeah she gets she finally hits claire she's down and she's going for the kids is her nose still bleeding from where claire punched her at that yes. point mm-hmm. she's she just, got like a little trickle of blood yeah and so she goes up and finds emma because emma's unlocked the door and yelled for her mom right and so she goes up there and she's like i am your mom I don't remember what she says. She's like, we're going to go away. No, she, she, yeah, she's like, we're going to go away, and I'm going to take care of you. And she's like, where's the baby? And Emma's like, he's over there, and points across the hall. And you're still not sure quite what's we're going on yet. But then you realize that Emma has decided not to trust Peyton after all. Yeah. Thank goodness. She locks her in the nursery. Yes. And grabs the baby and goes and hides in the closet. This is a scene that harkens back to Peyton going crazy in the bathroom. She picks up the poker from the fireplace and just starts wailing on the door. It's very like the shining, like her face very popping out of the so. door and stuff. Yeah, At first creepy. it just looks like, cause she's hitting it kind of at a, horizontally. She's not hitting it like straight right. on. So you're like, okay, is she just mad and she's hitting this door? But then you realize she's knocking out the panel. Yeah. And then the she door. reaches out, like unlocks it. Cause um, Emma left the key in the lock. Yeah. That was her one mistake. Cause I was very proud of Emma. Yeah. She, she acted with a great deal of presence of mind. She, mm-hmm. because a lot of times kids are portrayed as being able to do so in movies. Right. But so kids are, kids are pretty impressive. Kids are very smart and, and Emma definitely represented that. Yeah. So, and she gets the baby and hides 
she knows where to go. And, and the, ba- the baby's crying and she like is covering his face with a blanket. Like, shush. And, she, shush. <laughs> and it's like, okay, Emma, like, you're, you're doing, but there won't be a baby to save. Right. <laughs> but she did do another trick on Peyton yes. where she puts the baby monitor in a different closet. So yes. Peyton goes there first. So you so- hear the crying and you see Peyton walking towards the closet. And you're just like, oh, no, 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 no. What's going to happen? And she gets in there and it's the baby monitor. And at this time, unbeknownst to the family, Solomon has been following them around to keep an eye on them. You have seen him. We so have seen haven't. him, but the family yes. hasn't. Yeah, because he's he's just he's been keeping an eye on them, watching because he knows that this woman yeah. is not good. They have mentioned at one point that he had another job. He was back working again for the um, for the new is it New Day Better Society Day. Better Day Society, and they tell Emma if you see him around, to let us know. And so, but then they'll show him following you. And you're actually, I, I was, I had this feeling like he was going to get in trouble somehow, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. And so he gets the kids up into the attic and they're trying to escape and Peyton finds yes. them. Emma has a baby and the baby's on, I don't if he's on a chair, he's on some kind of surface. And you see this because Peyton gets up there and she's like, give me the kids or give me the baby or whatever to Solomon. He's like, no. And you see him looking at the baby and you see this kind of struggle because he knows he's not supposed to pick the baby up. Right. But he makes the decision to pick the baby up. Right. And he saves them. Yeah. Yes. She's like hitting him with, what is she he's hitting, hitting him with? Poker. With, the, fire with poker. the poker. And he's like sheltering the kids and has like his back to her. Yeah. Um, and Claire so. comes in with a knife, which Peyton knocks out of her hand with the poker. Yeah. Right. Always with the longer weapon in those sort of situations. But then, of course, stress-induced asthma attack. Claire starts struggling for breath and like, she collapses to the floor. Yeah. So Peyton's just smiling because she's like, oh, I've won. So she's just like. And she's like taunting her. She's like, when it really comes down to it, you're not, you, you can't even breathe. I was like, ooh, sick burn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you're not woman enough to take care of your own kids. And when it comes down to it, you can't even breathe. Yep. So she's, she's won. She walks over. She's going to take the baby from Joe. And no, she's going to take the baby from Solomon. I mean, from Solomon, she's yeah. going to take, take Joe, Joe from, from Solomon. Solomon. And then you realize Claire was faking yes. the entire time. And she gets up, gets the jump on Peyton, and... Punches her in the face again, because... Because that's her move. That's, that's, what, that's, that's her, her, that's her, her move. power move. Yes. <laughs> we're going to call that the Claire. Yeah, out that's out the Claire. goes Peyton out the window. They were trying... Solomon was trying to sneak the kids out. And on to the symbol of domestic life. Bliss. Yes, the white picket fence that... Or the... Peyton is probably impaled on. Yeah. And that's the fence that Solomon built. I yes. just got that when we started talking so about like, this. In multiple ways, Solomon is the reason that everyone lived throughout right. this movie. Yeah, I find it really interesting because it was so easy. It was so easy for Peyton to get him out of the picture. So easy. They didn't even think right. for they a didn't, second. They didn't think twice. They, they, like, they liked him, but when it came down to it, it was just like, okay, you're right. He's bad. Yeah, it was like they would believe, obviously, the very beautiful, white, neurotypical nanny over a neurodiverse person of color. Which, on the one hand, like, if your kid was telling you something, yeah, you want to believe him right away. But they, the, if they had ever bothered to ask Emma, mm-hmm. she hadn't had any problems with Solomon. Well, and also, and I think a lot of times it's like parents can pick up on things, too. And That's I, true. Even though Peyton played on that, preyed on that. Preyed on that, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, Solomon never gave them a reason to feel that way. Yeah, he didn't. Obviously, you should always be tr- careful about who you, who you place around your children. Right. But it's like they never even gave him That was It was all going on stuff Peyton said. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, yeah, the circumstantial evidence was iffy, but... Well, historically, white women have not been friends of men of color. Right. Because there have been many instances where men of color have lost their lives due to a white woman just shifting blame because she didn't want to take it. So should right. be blame on someone else, and they paid the ultimate price. 
So I really found that an interesting commentary. But then he's already ha picked up the baby at this point. But then Claire's like, no, 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 it's okay. So then the ultimate prize is being able to hold, to hold the, the baby. baby. Well, yes. he tries to give her Joe and she goes, no. And he, like, apologizes. He's like, I'm sorry. I just had to pick him up. Like, Yeah. So I found that kind of interesting, too. It was like, oh, the ultimate prize is being able to hold the white baby. So right. I don't know what kind of commentary that is. But I do. Well, I think the ultimate prize was more supposed to be, like, that he was trusted. He was but trusted. Still, he, no. He, that, that's a tricky one. Because uh, on the one hand circumstantial evidence kind of pointed him painted him into a bad position yeah but then on the other hand like they really didn't go to great lengths to try to figure out what was going on there no they they just took they kind of took it at face value right and didn't bother to yeah go any deeper they had some preconceived opinions there yes like. absolutely so i did really like that claire is the one that gets to take peyton out yes. and not mm -hmm. the dad yes. i really do wish though that she had been able, there had been some kind of dialogue between, like, it's your fault that all this happened to me. And she and she somehow got to say, no, 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 no. It's not my fault. Your husband. It's your husband's fault. Right. Or some kind of moment of, like, shifting that victim blame mentality. Right. But still, I liked in the end that she got, it was the women, it was the child, the neurotypical person of color, and the woman that were able to defend this family and ultimately save them. Right. Yeah. Very good stuff. While dad's legs are broken in the basement. Right. <laughs> poor, speaking poor of dad. Speaking of dad, Kevin Spacey was originally considered for that role. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, I'm so glad that didn't happen. That would have tainted this movie. Yes. <laughs> um, and Rebecca De Mornay and Annabella... Sciorra? Yes. They auditioned for the opposite parts. Which is very interesting because it's like I couldn't even imagine Rebecca De Mornay playing anyone else in this film. Yeah. I think it's also kind of funny because you've got uh, Peyton's blonde, Claire has brown hair, and Marie is redhead. So you've got oh, oh yeah, got one of each. You got all of them: a blonde, brunette, and redhead. Yep, walk into a bar. Um, and Sybil Shepherd was considered for the um the role of Peyton. Well, and she turned it down because of her feminist beliefs. I'm curious what that means. Yeah, because she said she turned down the role because of her feminist beliefs, but I don't know what that probably means. Uh, probably. Uh, I could be wrong, but probably the whole, I feel like they're almost casting it in a, like, if Claire had just not hired a nanny. Oh. If she could have just, like, you know, done her greenhouse in her spare time or, you know, been happy just taking care of her kids instead of or maybe just to have the a fact greenhouse. That or, all this had to circle around gender norms or. Yeah, I don't know. But that was, to me, that's kind of what it felt like is like, it's almost Claire's fault for yeah. to have outside interests. No, definitely. I could see that being perceived um, for sure. But I don't know her mind. I don't know. What yeah, I don't. I don't. It didn't give any more information. I just happened to read that little blurb. Yeah. Like, oh well, I wonder why that's such. Because I feel like there are some really good feminist undertones. Throughout yeah. This. Yeah, I think so. So. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted us to cover it. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, they do show at the end that, like, even though Claire does have outside interests to her family, she's a good mom. It's not. It, they they do come back around and be like, she's you know. Like women are allowed to have other yeah multifaceted their children to, yeah. Yes, they're, they're allowed to do more than one thing. Right. They can um, have a greenhouse, they can have a job, they can have the kids. You are allowed to do those right. things. Uh, Rebecca De Mornay won Best Villain at the MTV Movie Awards for this. see that. <laughs> Rightly deserved. Rightly deserved. Yeah, this didn't get good reviews. I'm going to link to a few of the reviews in the show notes if y'all want to take a look at it. But um, it was said to have the uh, subtlety of a blowtorch. I mean... That, I agree with that. I agree with that, but I also... <laughs> that's kind of why 
I like it. It's kind of unrelenting. Like, yeah, it, I thought it had some some it quite was a few. Explosive. Yeah, I thought it had a lot of really well done scenes, and the building of mm-hmm. anticipation was good. Decent movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, sure. what grade would you give this? Just as far as thrillers that I've watched, probably say A minus to an A. It's I mean, it's not like necessarily the best movie I ever watched, but it's not. It's a good. It's a decent one. Lacey. I mean, if we're gonna go for drama and just explosive insanity. I mean, it gets an A for that entertainment factor. But if we're going to talk about all those other things that kind of come in and the little problems that we have and the bigger problems, I think I would go ahead and give this movie somewhere around B minus, C plus, because it is entertaining, but I can't say that I can recommend it because of the graphic sexual assault. Oh, that's right, yeah. I don't feel like I can recommend it because of the sexual assault in the beginning. Everything else I enjoyed about the movie but I do think that that's a huge problem and I I don't know the answer and I don't even know if I'm justified in feeling that way but um I just think with the entertainment value it's it's very it it definitely has that but I think with all these little subtle problems maybe a lower grade for that but still enjoyable despite some of the problems I'd give it a B. There's a lot of things that I really liked about it and really appreciated. But like you said, there are some things that I'm still kind of like, On the fence, if you will. On (laughs) the white picket fence? Fence. Yes, Mm. perhaps. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Not as much so as Peyton. (laughs) She's definitely more on the fence than us. (laughs) Always will be. (laughs) (laughs) That happened. What is your recommendation? I and it's not exactly in the same lines as this movie per se, but the um, book, the book disclaimer. I recommend that one very highly. It's a very interesting book. It's it's about a woman. It starts out she's reading a book, and she realizes the book is about her, and then it goes. It kind of goes back in time, and it talks about the man who wrote the book and why he wrote it. And then it kind of, how it affects her life and the end isn't what you're expecting. It's a, it's, and then there's, um, I don't know, there's, I I like the way that they handle some of the subject matter in that. Mm. It's a very interesting book. And what was that called again? Disclaimer. Disclaimer. And who's, who wrote it? I would have to look it up. It is written by a woman and it is about a woman. Nice. So my recommendation, because this movie spawned a whole trend of Lifetime movies, really got that started. One movie I saw recently came out about four years ago, but it was, it wasn't a parody, but it was a Lifetime movie starring Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig called A Deadly Adoption. And literally these two actors did a Lifetime movie, but they just decided they wanted to do it. This, that, that plot harkens back to the plot of Hand That Rocks the Cradle quite a lot. It's a distant couple have a seemingly innocent woman who is pregnant come into their house and then... Just slowly but surely, they realize there's more than meets the eye. And this movie is also directed by a woman, Rachel Lee Goldenberg. So if you're looking for something on the lighter, kind of funnier take, because it definitely doesn't take itself seriously, look at A Deadly Adoption. Okay. (laughs) So my movie recommendation is Sleeping with the Enemy, starring Julia Roberts, directed by Joseph Rubin, screenplay by Ronald Bass and Bruce Joel Rubin, based on the novel by Nancy Pride. 
Now, this is another domestic thriller about an abused woman escaping her abusive husband. And it's really good. And Julia Roberts is amazing. And I love Julia Roberts. I also have a book recommendation. And it's called The Perfect Nanny. And it's not so much a thriller in the way this one is. It's, It's kind of slower, but it is a look at when somebody has nothing outside of their job and if that job is taking care of a family how does that mess with your psyche and your life and the family and it is by Leila Slimani and it's a really short quick read but it was a lot of fun and so I recommend that as well nice so thank you for being with us today, Val. This was yes, a lot of fun. Yes, it was fun. thank you. And I think we, we should tell our audience, we have all been friends for about 20 years at this point. Oh, my goodness. I think this year is 20. That is a, more than half of our lives. Yes. Yeah. How crazy is that? Wow. So it was really fun to have you on the podcast. Thank you. For multiple reasons. And yeah. please come back. I really enjoyed it. I like listening to y'all's podcasts. I always feel like... Like, we're all sitting there chatting, except for I can't say much. Well, I do. I do say a lot of things, but you don't hear me. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to hear You make a podcast of listening a to A podcast of me listening to your podcast, like a reaction podcast. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Because yes. I, I do. I totally interject all the time. Oh, that's fun to hear. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you. Yes, yes. thank you. And happy Mother's Day. Oh, thank you. And happy yes. Mother's Day to all the mamas and the grandmamas and the dads that do the work of mamas, and all those people. All the mom-type folks. All the mother-type figures in your life. Happy Mother's Day. We love and appreciate you. Here is our clue for our next episode. I never even knew the dame. You know she's been murdered, don't you? Yeah, so was Julius Caesar. I didn't know him either. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. Like us on Facebook at Fatal Femmes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemmespodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.